Have you ever moved and during the moving process, you realized that you made a miscalculation? You packed all the things in boxes and you thought you put aside everything you were going to need, but all of a sudden you need something now and they're in the boxes. You all know what I'm talking about? This last summer or this last winter we moved and our everything was in boxes. I thought I had set aside everything I was going to need. I was scheduled to preach to you lovely people and so I was wearing some dress pants and dang it, dress shoes are in those boxes entire garage full of boxes. So I had a couple options. One, I could go change my pants. Not a viable option. They look pretty good. Option two, I could go dress pants, sandals, biblical look, Christ-like, some would say. Or option number three, I could start rummaging through all the boxes to find what I'm looking for. And if you've done that, you know that there's always that person from behind you that says, oh, it's not in that box. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's not, not in that box. Well, do you know where my shoes are? You who knows all boxes. This morning, we're beginning a study through the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes says we're all rummaging through life looking for meaning, satisfaction, fulfillment, And the author of Ecclesiastes is the voice from behind you saying, it's not in that box. It's not in that box either. And so as we approach this book, as we enter it, we say, well, do you know where meaning is? You who knows all boxes. Open up your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where to find it, cut your Bible in half, turn left, you're going to hit the Psalms. Right after the Psalms comes Proverbs. Right after Proverbs is a little book called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written about a thousand years before King Jesus was born. And compared to every other book, it has very few commentaries. I didn't know this, but as I went to study it, the reformers hardly write on it. The Puritans spilled very little ink on it. And I I think it's because most of us don't know what to do with the book of Ecclesiastes. Do you know that person who shows up to, to things periodically and they're kind of disheveled and they haven't showered and their hood is up and it's like singed so tight. So there's like people and you're like, how's it going? Happy morning. They're like, is it a happy morning? Is it a happy? You're like, I don't really know how to relate to you right now. That's the vibe of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the person with the peephole going, is it though? I don't know how to relate to this book because uh, Melville said it's it's the truest of all books because there's no bumper sticker Christianity here. There's no easy, quick fix. There's no, don't worry, be happy now. None of that. It is so real. It is so raw. It almost feels ungodly. But God in his kindness gives us this book to communicate to our darkest, most depressing thoughts. I understand. One of the main comforts we will feel from this book is, dang, he understands. Like he really understands. Jesus is truly God and truly human. 
So let's just look first at the human author, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say there. Okay, let's lean in now. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. The human author is Solomon. Solomon's dad was King David. His mom was Bathsheba. And when David died, he handed the kingdom of Israel to his son, Solomon. And one of the craziest stories in the Bible, one night Solomon is young. He's just been given the keys to the kingdom. And God comes to him in a dream and says, whatever you ask of me, I will grant you. And young Solomon doesn't ask for money, doesn't ask for power. He says, God, I want wisdom so I know how to lead your people in your ways. And that so pleases God that God makes Solomon the wisest person who's ever lived. Note that. Solomon was the wisest person to ever inhabit planet earth. Wiser than the apostle Paul. Wiser than Moses. Wiser than John the Baptist. And Ecclesiastes is his personal journal. Ecclesiastes is the personal journal of the wisest person to ever live on planet earth. But look again at verse 1. Who is the ultimate preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem? Guys, Ecclesiastes isn't just King Solomon's journal. It's King Jesus' journal. The book ends with this crazy twist ending. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11. Speaking of the words of this book, it says, The words of the wise are like odes, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Only three other places in the entire book speak of a single shepherd, each of them referring to Jesus. That's why I've entitled the series the King's, the King's Journal because it's King Solomon's journal, but over and above and around that, this is King Jesus's journal. And in the places Solomon remembers his sin, we remember that Jesus was tempted like Solomon in every respect, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. And the places where Solomon just vents his fallen humanity. We remember Jesus' word in Matthew 12, 42. Someone greater than Solomon is here. And I think that's just, I think that's the reason why Jesus was able to live so dang free from the world. I think the reason he was just able to be on a completely different plane than everyone else who ever lived is because he already knew what Solomon had to find out. That what you're looking for in all those boxes is not there. So let's talk about Solomon for a second. Because Solomon in every respect is next level. Anything worldly that you could want, anything worldly that you could experience, Solomon had more of it and did more of it and it's not even close. Let's talk money. I looked yesterday. Jeff Bezos is worth around $150 billion. He's in the B club. $150 billion. Well, a group of economists calculated that Solomon's net worth in today's currency would be around $2.2 trillion. That's 
15 times richer than Jeff Bezos. Solomon single-handedly crashed the silver market in the ancient world because he owned all of it. Like all the silver was at his house, and so it crashed the silver market. You want to talk about sex? Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, famously had seven wives. Solomon, a hundred times that. Solomon had 700 wives, and that wasn't enough, so he added 300 concubines. He had entire palaces built for just his wives and his concubines. He could have been with a different woman every night of the week, never slept with the same person for three years. He could have had a meal with a different wife every meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and never ate with the same person for almost a whole year. All the money, all the romance, all the power. Solomon's temple took seven years to build. You're like, that's not a big deal. It took 153,000 people seven years to build his temple. He was super handsome. He was super well-dressed. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, hey, none of you are, are, are dressed as well as Solomon. Like if a thousand years later, Jesus is talking about your style, you look good, like really good. His parties were legendary. They drank so much that they planted vineyards and then they had to get water to those vineyards. And so he built Solomon's pools. You can go visit Solomon's pools today. They're not like, hey, look, honey, there's a pool. They're like pools, 75 million gallons of water, all just to keep the wine flowing. Solomon lived like no one else. He opened every box that a human can open. And here's what he concluded. Verse two, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word translated vanity is havel. And it's a hard word to pin down with an exact English translation. Some, it's something like meaningless. The imagery is of a mist or smoke or a vapor. Solomon, and I'd say Jesus, is saying, guys, every box, you open it and there's nothing there. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's futile. It's pointless. It's havel. But in Hebrew, when you want to rise something to the superlative You do it by repeating the word. So the holiest place on earth is the holy of holies, right? The song becomes the song of songs. And to Solomon, life isn't just Havel. It's vanity of vanities. Stupid beyond stupid. Why? Verse 3. Because what does man gain? by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's a rhetorical question if you didn't pick up on it. And it's the central question of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Circle the word gain because Solomon's gonna go back to it 10 times. It's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. He says, guys, at the end of all of this, what do we actually get? What do we actually have? Like, after we spend our whole lives just trying to open boxes, try this, try sex, 
Try more money, try more vacations, try bigger house, try newer cars. We open after all of it. What do we actually gain? What do we profit? What will we actually have after all of our toil? The answer, absolutely nothing. The one person who opened all the boxes, tested all the theories to the absurd degree, says, there's nothing in any box under the sun. The phrase under the sun, underline that, it's going to show up 30 times. And it's a metonymy. For others who slept in English class, a metonymy is a shorthand phrase to describe something big. So we say the White House. According to the White House, that's a metonymy for the president's administration. Silicon Valley means the tech industry, right? Uh, Friday Night Lights, high school football, and one of the greatest television shows of all time. Anyone with me on that? Yes. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Under the sun is Solomon's shorthand for the whole world. All of it. Everything. Under the sun is everything everywhere on planet Earth. Solomon says, hey, You go to your school, go get your degree, grind away at your job. All of it is a wild goose chase. And I'm here to tell you, there's no goose. The King's Journal says, point one, there's nothing to be gained under the sun. There's nothing to be obtained. And now in verse four, he's like, let me prove it to you. A generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. Every generation thinks they're the ones that are going to solve the world's problems, right? Every generation thinks, hey, those generations, they were dumb, we're smart. They were bad, we're good. They were primitive, we are progressive. Every generation sincerely believes that they are here and they're going to fix this thing. That's why we love causes so much. Someone said of young people, all they need is breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a cause, right? Go to any college campus and you're going to meet the person who's going to pull people out of poverty, bring world peace, solve world hunger, all while saving the turtles. What is that? There's something deep within every generation that sincerely believes we're going to fix this. Like, well, like we're going to change the world. And to quote Ecclesiastes, good luck with that. Now, obviously, generations can and should do whatever's within their power to alleviate human suffering and promote human flourishing. But Solomon's saying, hey, all that's that's just taping stuff up. Like, that's just plastering Band-Aids on things. The world is broken. No matter what a generation does, the generation coming behind them will be broken. There's nothing we can do about it. Every generation leaves earth as broken as they found it, and there's not a dang thing anyone can do about it. And you're like, no, we made real progress. Give it a hundred years, someone else will get in power and undo everything you did. Solomon's just watching this going, a generation comes, a generation goes, and the earth stays the same forever. Verse five, the sun rises 
and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits, the wind returns. Verse seven, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Solomon just gives us three proofs in nature of how stupid everything is. He says, look at the sun. It comes up. It goes down. Why? To do the same stupid thing tomorrow. Look at the wind. It blows that way and it blows that way. And there's so much energy, so much work. Blows around and around. Why? To do the same thing tomorrow. Look at the streams. The seas never get full. The streams never stop. Someone says, you can look up to the sun, out to the wind, down to the water. All you see is the meaningless monotony of life under the sun. And we feel this, guys, don't we? If you're in your 20s, this might not resonate with you quite yet. I think some point in your 30s, you begin to feel the throbbing monotony of it all. Monday, you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you eat something, you watch something, you go to bed. Tuesday, wake up, go to work, come home, eat something, watch something, go to bed. What do you think's on the agenda for Wednesday? At some point, you just go, this is dumb. Like all of this is just the same old stuff. I make money to spend money. Then I make more money to spend the money again. I get hungry, so I eat, but then I get hungry again, so I eat again. No matter how much you clean the house, that house is going to need a deep clean again. Can I get an amen? No matter how many dishes you do, there's always a stack waiting for you. No matter how much you laundry you do, there's all, it's always piling it up again on the floor. And King Solomon and King Jesus are disenchanted enough with all the boxes to acknowledge the obvious stupidity of it all, the obvious futility of it all. And where does this lead? Verse eight, all things, all boxes are full of weariness. You want to know what's in the box? Weariness. So weird. A man cannot utter it. One, the contemporary version translates verse eight. All of life is so boring, words cannot even say. That's a good translation. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You're just feeling the numbing boredom of it all. Just going to church once again. Verse 8 is God saying, I see you. I understand. And maybe you're not. Maybe you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and, oh, once I graduate... Once I move, once I get that job, then I'll be happy. You will be for a little bit. And then you're going to hate that job like you've hated every job you've ever had. Once I get married, oh, we're going to be so passionately in love and life is going to be one big adventure. It will be for a little bit. And then at some point, you're going to have gone on all the dates and you will have, have done all the trips 
and you will have had all the conversations and watched all the movies and had all the romance and your marriage, like everything else in your life, will become boring. Yeah, but however you finish that sentence, Solomon is here to tell you, I've finished that sentence to the absurd degree and I'm telling you, it's a dead end that leads to nothing but boredom beyond words. Need more proofs? Verse eight. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Walk into any public place this week and you will see the frantic fingers desperately swiping, preaching verse eight. As of August this year, the average screen time of Americans between ages 16 and 64 is six hours and 37 minutes a day. Why, why are the wealthiest, most comfortable, most entertained people to ever inhabit planet Earth, why are they spending almost seven hours a day, half of their waking hours, just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling? Because God's word is true. The eye is not satisfied. Nor the ear filled with hearing. What happens when you find an amazing song? You crank that baby up, right? You learn those lyrics, windows down, you sing it out. But at some point you stop singing because the song gets old. I have to find a new favorite song every week. Why? Because the one last week got old. SoundCloud uploads 50,000 songs every single day. Why? Because the songs always get old. The streaming service, uh, music streaming, is a $30 billion industry because they know what Solomon already knew. You have to keep it going. Keep it going. Stream it. Because the ear is never filled. Guys, we can look at nature. We can look at the world And there's all this energy. There's all this movement. There's all this activity, all this rummaging through boxes. But every box is empty. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. The King's Journal acknowledges a slightly different truth now in verse 9. He says, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing, circle this word, new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. You might say, that's not true, man. What about, what about my iPhone 14? Well, first off, is that new? That's an iPhone 13 with a little bit better camera, right? But I take your point, technology. What about technology? That's, that's kind of new. What about AI? What about sending people to space? Well, is that new? What can we do on Mars except copy-paste Earth? Alistair Begg said, what can we do on the moon except look back at Earth? Solomon isn't talking about rearranging the furniture. He's talking about the fundamental realities of life. There will always be suffering. doesn't matter how much AI you pump into this thing. There will always be fighting. There will always be death. There is nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there a a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, said every marketing campaign ever. 
It has already been in the ages before us. Remember the the most used word in 2020? Unprecedented. Is that just an annoying word? Unprecedented pandemic. Solomon's like, bubonic plague, anyone? Yellow fever. Cholera, anyone? Spanish flu? It's unprecedented. He's like, it's already, we've done this We've done this dance so many times. Our country is experiencing unprecedented division. There's this thing that happened in the 1860s. Do you remember that? People had muskets and were shooting each other. 620,000 people died. Unprecedented. Solomon, Jesus is saying there is nothing new. Everything happening in the world is what has always been happening in the world and what will always happen in the world. There's nothing new. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Raise your hand if you can, if you remember all four first names of your grandparents. Raise your hand. Good. Yeah, so mine are Audrey, Waldemore, Norman, and Lucy. Let's bring old names back. <laughs> okay, now raise your hand if you can name their grandparents. Solomon's like, exactly. Your kids' kids will remember your name. Your, their kids will almost certainly not. At some point, your entire existence, everything you're working for, will be funneled down to a name glued to a third grade family tree assignment. Even if you do something epic, like I'm talking epic, and you get your name put on a building, Fast forward that a few decades and that building is going to be bulldozed and your crappy little plaque will be among the wreckage. You will not be remembered. You won't. And that initially lands on us as really heavy and depressing. We're going to find in the coming weeks that's actually like the most liberating truth ever. Because if you won't be remembered, then you don't need to be remembered. And then you're free. And you can throw the crushing burden of becoming someone people remember to the birds. It's not going to happen anyways. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Now in verse 12, Solomon gets personal. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. The verb tense there, have been king, indicates Solomon is older now. He's on the back end of his life. He's the the older guy in the room talking to us younger ones saying, point three, my own life proves this. Verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. And the big question is, why? 
Why is life like that? Solomon gives us a proverb. Because what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. In wisdom literature, crooked always refers to sin and moral brokenness. So why is the world like this? The king says, because the world has been broken by sin. When the first humans chose to disobey God, sin entered the world for the first time and the world became broken. And we've been groaning ever since. Verse 16. So I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after the wind. He's like, hey, my Sunday school teacher told me to be wise. I tried that, didn't work. My friends told me to be foolish, foolish. I tried that. That didn't work either. In a way, Solomon, Solomon's the first American. His fridge is full, his bank account's full, his bed is always full, and his soul is empty. So he gives us another proverb. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon's like, I, guys, even the good boxes are empty. Even the boxes of wisdom and knowledge are empty. I became literally the wisest man in the world, and it just made me more miserable. This is life under the sun, you guys. It's a world in which Robin Williams, one of the funniest, wealthiest, most beloved humans hangs himself because he made his way through all the boxes and found that they're all hopelessly empty. Hemingway said, life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And then he put a shotgun in his mouth. This is life under the sun. But that's the key. Under the sun. Those are the parameters for Solomon's experiment. Solomon is critiquing everything under the sun. And he finds everything under the sun is meaningless, frustrating, futile, downright depressing. But what if something came from above the sun? Life under the sun is life looked at at ground level. From a worldly perspective, leaving God outside of it. But what happens if someone, say God's son, comes under the sun. The whole point of chapter one is there's nothing here, guys. There's nothing to be obtained. Go ahead, try it. Work your tail off. Do 70 hours a week. Grind away. Get the, get the degree. Spend all your years and years striving and rummaging through all the boxes. There's nothing to be gained. Naked you came, naked you will return. Unless you receive Jesus, 
then to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you understand the, the gift of gain on the black backdrop of Ecclesiastes? There, there's nothing to be gained under the sun, S-U-N, but under the S-O-N, I mean, we can make a list. There is 10,000 blessings to be yours and enjoyed forevermore. Solomon's whole point is that there's nothing new here. It's same old, same old. Been there, done it, tried it. There's nothing new, which is the black backdrop for Jesus' words everywhere. Like Luke twenty two twenty, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. What does the new covenant do? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, what does it say? The new has come under the sun. Listen, there is nothing new under the S-U-N, but under the S-O-N, everything is new. Everything is new. We start with a new birth, 1 Peter 1.3. Then we're given a new heart, Ezekiel 36. Then we're filled with a new spirit, Ezekiel 11. Why? To be new creations and to step into newness of life. Now, every day, under the sun, you can be new. Like, you don't have to think the way you thought. Do you know that? You don't have to respond the way you always respond. You don't have to do what you always do. Why? Because there is something now new under the sun. Jesus brings newness to us all. So every day you have to make a choice. This is where Ecclesiastes is trying to get us. You can live life under the sun or you can live life under the sun. And you can be new and you can receive 10,000 blessings forevermore. Where does this broken, crooked, miserable monotonous, meaningless world. Where, where does it go? We're told, very end of the book, Revelation 21. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Why will Jesus give us a new earth? Because Revelation 21, 5, he who sit on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. All boxes King Solomon, having gone through all the boxes of life, concludes, there's nothing here. All things are old. King Jesus says, yes, and for that reason, I'm making all things new. Guys, if you're rummaging through boxes, looking for something, and someone says, oh, I actually know where that is. I saw that inside. 
how foolish would we be to stay out in the garage? Well, maybe I missed it. I know I already opened this box, but maybe I missed it. I'll look again. No. Listen to the voice. Follow them inside. Don't miss this. You don't need to keep rummaging through the same dang boxes you've been going through and going towards for years. We can trust the voice and we can follow him to the thing that we are looking for, life and life to the full. Let's pray.